tonight, we're going to start Second Peter. And this is totally different from First Peter. And it's going to be a great, great series, and I'm looking forward to it. How many of you have read ahead? Two of you. All right. We've got some scholars here. All right. Uh, we're going to read it together like we always do, Second Peter 1, 1 to 9. We're dealing with the first nine verses tonight. So let's put it up there, and let's read it together, all right? I'll read it, and when I want you to jump in, I'll... I'll let you know, and you'll jump in. But here it is. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Isn't that great? By which have been given to us, what kind of promises? Exceedingly great and precious. Is that how you see the promises of God? Amen. Exceedingly great and precious. That through these you may be, wow, look at this, partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, he's going to give us seven building blocks. Here they are. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. He's not done. To godliness brotherly kindness, and the seventh building block to brotherly kindness, love. Now look at this. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what he's going to point out here at the end. Here, here, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Mr. Magoo. Okay, you're short-sighted. That's a level of blindness. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Wow. That's powerful. Amen. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Bless it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. Amen. Now, a um, couple of things about this, this second letter. Peter wrote his first letter because he was moved by the suffering of God's people. So First Peter is all about comforting the suffering. He wrote his second letter because he was moved by the seduction of God's people. First letter, the suffering of God's people. This one, the seduction of God's people. Into what? False doctrine. He was moved the first time by what Satan, the old lion, was doing. He was moved the second time by what Satan, the old liar, was doing. When he wrote his first letter, the attack was from without. But when he wrote the second letter, the attack was from within the church. And it was very much more serious because... God's people were falling prey to false doctrine. So a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It was spreading throughout the body. The church could not be destroyed by fierce torments, but it could be destroyed by false teaching. I want you all to catch that. Okay? Peter's second epistle follows the very same pattern as all of the other second epistles of the New Testament. This is so interesting to me. 2 Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, and 2 John all deal with error and apostasy. All of them. And you know there's only one letter in the entire New Testament, only one letter that does not address false teaching, and that's Philemon. All the other ones, every other letter in the New Testament addresses somewhere in, in it false teaching. That's powerful. Now, why would that be? 
because false teaching, there's nothing new under the sun. It was everywhere back then, encroaching upon the church, threatening the life of the church, and it's everywhere now. Better believe it. In his first letter, Peter had a burden to comfort those believers who were going through the fire. In his second letter, he has a burden to caution those who are playing with the fire. False teaching. His second epistle is full of warning. It really very much resembles Jude. That's why I'm going to go to Jude after this, because Second Peter and Jude are twins. They're very, very similar. Probably would have fully blossomed when Jude wrote, was beginning to blossom when Peter wrote. So false teaching was beginning to infiltrate the church when Peter wrote, and when Jude wrote his epistle, it was full-blown in the church. Paul, uh, Peter's second epistle is in three parts. Here they are. Faith's convictions, faith's contention, and faith's consummation. The key verse, to my mind, is this one. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, Second Peter 3.17. So if you wanted a key verse for Second Peter, that's it. Read it again. Beware lest you also, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Fall from your own steadfastness. You lose your footing. Be careful that you don't lose your footing and are led away with the error of the wicked, led away by the error of the false teaching that is everywhere, social media being one of the main propagators of it. Don't let these evil people, this is another, this is the uh, easy-to-read version, don't let these evil people lead you away by the wrong they do. Be careful that you do not fall from your own strong faith. Is that warning? For us today, oh, you better know it. You better know it. Peter begins with his own signature. Simon Peter, verse 1, here we go. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, here's a little interesting tidbit for you. The name Simon, you know, Simon Peter, the name Simon is generally associated with Peter's fall. Jesus had said, Simon, Simon. Now, he had already named him Peter. But when he was about to fall, he said, Simon, Simon. All right? Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And Peter went on to deny the Lord on that fateful night before Jesus or after Jesus' arrest. So the Scripture, interestingly, associates Simon with, with Peter's uh, weak side. But the name Peter is associated with the Apostle Peter, the spiritual rock, the one on the front rank of the apostles prior to Paul. And it's this Simon Peter who writes this, his second and his last letter to the church. This, we could say it's his swan song, just like Paul wrote Second Timothy and said, I know I'm about to go home. Peter says, I know I'm about to put off this tent. I know I'm about to die. I'm about to go be with Jesus. They both knew ahead of time. Peter addresses himself to his disciple or to his readers, describing the readers, you and me, in three ways. First, he points out their beliefs. They were those who have obtained like precious faith. Is that you tonight? Have you obtained a like precious faith? We got the same faith in here? Yeah, we've got the same faith. All right. Um, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter calls it like precious faith, meaning faith of equal value. Your faith isn't better than mine. Mine's not better than yours. We have like, similar, equal faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, the faith of the lowliest Christian is on the same level as the faith of the greatest saint. Please remember that. We're saved by faith, which is the operating principle of the whole Christian life. You're saved by faith. After you're saved, you live by faith. When, the, when Jesus comes back, you're taken up by faith. 
And when we get to heaven, we don't need faith anymore because we're there. But until then, the whole operating principle of the Christian life is faith. We live by faith, not by the sight of our eyes. Then Peter speaks a blessing on them, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is God's provision for every one of our needs while we live on earth in enemy territory. We are in right now strong enemy territory. Oh, my. America and this radio broadcast or this social media may go beyond our country, but I'm going to say here in America, and I can safely say the rest of the world, but here in America right now, we're in a level of evil and wickedness in our culture that 10 years ago I would not have believed if you had shown it to me. We're in enemy territory. And we're seeing some major darkness. And that's why it's so important that churches like ours stay with the blood, with the cross, with the Holy Spirit, with salvation in Jesus only, with the cross of Christ uh, who bled and died for our sins, that we not deviate from the faith once delivered to the saints. Amen? Because we're a light in this world. So he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So peace is his provision for our greatest inner need. My greatest inner need and yours, whether or not you've ever thought about it, it's peace. Because what can you enjoy if you don't have peace? But what can you get out of anything if you don't have peace? You can live in a mansion with satin sheets on your bed, but you can't sleep at night if you don't have peace. You know, you can't give yourself a bigger mansion. No mansion, no amount of money is going to make you happy or give you peace. You can live in a little bitty shack with the peace of God and be happy. Amen. So Peter Peter says, I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. Uh, and, he, and he says, here's how it happens. The more you come to know him. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, so how does our experience with God increase? Knowledge. But not as any knowledge. Knowledge of him. Increasing knowledge of Jesus. How many of you can say, I know him better today than I knew him five years ago? And guess what? You're going to know him better five years from now than you do right now. So look what he says. He says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's how grace and peace are multiplied. In the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. Now, the word Peter uses for knowledge means precise, ongoing, expanding, further knowledge. Just as we come to know a person more and more as time goes by, it's that simple. How much better do you know your spouse than you did before you were married? And you're going to know them better and better and better. You Listen, when it comes to God, you never fully know all there is to know. He's so vast, so high, so massive, so awesome, so majestic, so infinite. You never come to know all there is to know. Amen? Peter informs us of what has been gifted to us. We've been gifted. Look at verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, track with the words now. Okay, life and godliness. What is the gateway? How do I achieve life and godliness? His divine power operating in me. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. There it is again. Through the knowledge of him. Through growing in your knowledge of him. See, you come to church here on Wednesday nights and we go through the Bible. You're growing in the knowledge of him. If you haven't grown in the knowledge of him, then find some place that is teaching on a level that you'll grow in the knowledge of him. Because that's why the church is here, to help us all grow together in the knowledge of him. Now, notice how life and godliness become ours only through his divine power. So as, as Christians, we're now to 
live his life, not our own, for him, not for ourselves, by his power, not by our own strength. See, the positive thinker says, I can do all things. That's positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale, positive thinking. I can do anything I set my mind to. I can do all things. But biblical thinking says, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do it unless Jesus is empowering me. So I come into greater and greater levels of life and peace and godliness through his divine power working in me. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. I am persuaded that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it, will work it, will work it out until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. We are, we are uh, on the potter's wheel, and he's the potter. And every day we are God's divine project. So notice that Peter over and over again connects knowledge to spiritual growth, specifically the knowledge of him. So the more we come to know our Lord, the more we will experience, watch this, his glory, the outpouring of his presence, and his virtue, his moral goodness. The more we come to know him, that's why you got to be in the Bible every day. Because every day that we get into the Bible, folks, uh, you come to know a little bit more about God, about Christ, about what he's done for us. And you're, you're building a house. The house is being built. Uh, and, and that's God's house in you. You're the temple. And he's building Jesus in all of us. And how do we get there? One of the key ways is increasing knowledge of him. Amen. The absolute goodness of the Lord has been transferred, imputed to us positionally. Now the indwelling Holy Spirit labors to produce that goodness in us practically. So positionally, who am I in Christ? Where am I in Christ? Positionally. That is, when I say positionally, I mean, how does God see us? How does God see you when he looks at you right now? Well, we know this. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now. He sees us already there. Already there. But when he looks at you, how does God look at you and me? Well, with sunglasses. Right? The minute you get saved, God puts on sun, S-O-N, glasses. And he sees you through Jesus. He sees you through Jesus. So positionally, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But how many of you can say, practically, I'm not there yet? Because practically is your daily spiritual growth, your successes and failures, your stumblings, your, your walking with him, bearing fruit in him making mistakes along the way, skinning your knee along the way. Just like a baby learns to walk, we learn to walk spiritually. And so positionally, I am perfected in Christ. But practically, he's working out his salvation in me every single day. And I'm growing. I'm not perfect. If I lived to be 500, I would not be perfect position or practically. Are you all with me with the positional practical? All right. So that's why you can't ever forget who you are positionally because we tend to, when we make a mistake in our practical Christian life, we tend to let the devil beat our brains out with condemnation. Look at you, child of God. You say you're a child of God. You say you're a born-again Christian. Look at, look at you. You can't this, you can't that, you still this, and you still that, and he comes and beats you up. That's when you've got to say, hey, I'm washed in the blood, and positionally, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. The devil doesn't want us to remember about our positional position. Amen? Now, Peter next informs us that God has given incredible promises 
incredible promises of this very thing coming to pass. What thing? The practical spiritual growth we're all involved in. How many of you in here are growing spiritually every day? Right? You're growing spiritually every day, right? Okay? We are. We are God's workmanship every day. So how do we cooperate with what God wants to do in our life? Well, he tells us in verse 4, by which we have been given or has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, he's about to tell us something so powerful. He describes God's promises. They are great and they are precious. They are backed up, his promises, by the very integrity of God's character and God himself. There's no other greater I can swear by than myself, says God in Hebrews. I can't swear by a greater than myself. So I give you my promise that according to my character and my goodness and my integrity as almighty God, these promises can be stood on, counted on believed for, and experienced. Okay? He says, they're exceedingly great. (laughs) The word exceeding reveals the dimension, the measure, the degree, the intensity of God's promises. The promises of God are like blank checks drawn on the bank of heaven, signed by the Lord of glory himself, and given to us so that we can fill in our name, our need, and the now of our present emergencies. Amen? And let me tell you, the bank of heaven does not fail. It does not collapse. There's no run on that bank. Oh, my. So how often are we using those blank checks, those promises? Look at every promise like a blank check. And Jesus has signed it. It's good. And says, Peter, it, it is uh, the second half of verse 4, through these, through what? Through the promises, we are partakers of his divine nature. Partakers of his divine nature. How many of you want to be like Jesus? How do we get to be like Jesus? We get to be like Jesus through the promises by appropriating the promises, by praying for the promises, standing on the promises, enjoying the provision of the promises. That we might be partakers of the divine nature, but it gets better, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. By laying hold of the promises of God, we become more and more like God. By laying hold of the promises. And God's divine nature has been birthed in us by being born again. So we start out with a divine nature, the divine nature born into us. When you're born again, you've got that second nature. It's the divine nature. We call it the new man. Okay? Now we're going to build on that new man. That new man is going to grow in us from a baby into a fully formed adult Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus not only died for us, he also died as us. Are you with me? In Jesus, we already have died to our old life and our old sinful nature, and we are to reckon it so. We died with him on the cross. There's that old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, it makes me tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there? Let me answer the song. Yes, we were there. Our old man, the old nature, the sinful nature was there and was crucified with Jesus. That's why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. We died with him on the cross. We were buried with him in the waters of baptism. And we've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. That old man, that old sinful nature, it's on the cross back there with Jesus. 
And we've now been raised to walk in newness of life. And that's what water baptism represents. Buried with him by baptism into his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. Our new nature given to us at our new birth is the divine nature. It has different wants. That divine nature has different longings, different desires, different wants, different tastes. Um, It's a whole new nature. It's not that downward pull to sin. That's the old nature. The new nature has the upward pull, the upward tug to, to seek God, to please God, to walk with God, to honor God. That's the, that's the pull of the new nature. This is one of the exceeding great and precious promises of the Bible, that I've got a new nature. Do, do you believe that with me? We didn't get religion. I didn't take on a bunch of rules and regulations. I took on a person. I took on a new life, not a rule book. The nature of Christ himself is in me, in you. Today I was, and I don't want to spend long on this, but I was listening to a testimony of a woman who has, quote, deconstructed. Now, what's deconstruction? It's when you decide to rethink your Christian faith and you reassess all the beliefs you grew up with and you reject most of them. And this woman had decided, having grown up in Christianity and been a Christian for 50 years, she's no longer a Christian. And so she was going through all the reasons why. And and I noticed something. Uh, She talks about her upbringing in the church. Uh, I mean, they were at church every time the doors were open. They got all involved in all kinds of different church activities, and her whole church was, or her whole life was church this, church that, and church the other. And then, and, and, and so I'm listening. And she said, when I went off to college, I threw it all away. I was so happy to be out from under it. Now, I, I caught that. Because listen to me, church. If you really have a new nature, you're not going to say that. Because John said his, his commandments are not burdensome to the true child of God. I'm listening to her, and she had a really powerful intellect. It, it, you know, so to the casual viewer and, and listener to this woman, it might have run a number on you. But I'm listening carefully, and I'm realizing everything, all of it was intellectual to her. Clearly, to me, when I got to the end of it, was over an hour long. I listened to the whole thing because I, I want to know, what are other people thinking? This deconstruction stuff, because it's going, happening all over the place. So I, I, I processed things, and I walked away from it, thought about it a while, and then it hit me. Not once did I ever hear her say, I loved Jesus. I was in love with Jesus. I loved God who sent Jesus. No, it was all the intellectual side of Christianity, which she easily ditched. See, folks, if you're really saved, you've got a brand new nature. A brand new nature. And that's one of the great and precious promises. And that nature has desires and tastes and longings and wants, and, and uh, um, it, it's going to take you up towards God every time, that new nature. So I felt sorry for her because her entire life was spent in the church, and she never got saved. See, just because you're in a church house doesn't mean you're saved. There's all kinds of people who go to church that have never been born again. See, when you've been born again, your nature changes. The divine nature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and all has become new. Are you with me? So nobody who's ever really been saved is going to go, oh, I'm so glad to be out from under that. No, 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 no. Now, maybe religion, but not the things of God. Oh, no, no. I thought about contacting her and asking her for a debate. 
I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, because my heart went out to her. How sad. 50 years in a Christian environment, and you never get saved. Just because you're sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. Sitting in a church building doesn't make you a true believer. Anyway, Peter says this is how we experience the greatest of all escapes. Remember the movie, The Great Escape? Here's the greatest escape. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's the greatest escape. We escape the corruption of the world. The word for escape means to flee away. The best way to have victory over temptation is to put as much distance as possible between yourself and the source of temptation. Flee. The word for corruption is used to describe a corpse. We have escaped becoming a corpse spiritually through lust. It carries the idea of destruction by corruption. Peter says this is the consequence for a society that abandons itself to lust, and we're watching our society become a spiritual corpse right now. The Bible is crystal clear. This is the condition of our fallen world. We know that we are of God, and the whole world, says John, lies in the grip of wickedness is the Greek. The grip, the, the, the chokehold of the wickedness of the world. The whole world lies in the chokehold of wickedness. So having begun in faith, Peter sees the rest of our Christian life as a matter of addition. Sin subtracts, godliness adds. He says add. Everybody say add. He says add seven times in the upcoming verses that we're going to cover tonight. Seven times he says add, 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 add. So he's going to set before us a seven-fold progression in our spiritual growth where we're to add one character quality alongside the next, like building a house of seven building blocks. So he says, if you do this, if you do this, you're going to be so fruitful. Verse 5, for this very reason, it begins with virtue, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Can we say real good and loud virtue? Well, that's about 10 of you. Let's try it again. Virtue. You're on radio now. Say it one more time. All right. It begins with virtue. For this very reason, give all diligence. That means make it a job of yours. Diligence. Work at this. Add to your faith, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible says. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue, which we just saw Jesus as having, means moral excellence. That's virtue. It's the idea of you are genuinely good on the inside. You're good. The goodness of God has been chiseled into your character. The goodness of God. It says Jesus went about everywhere doing good. He was, of course, Jesus, Son of God, was the picture of virtue. He was good through and through. And the best way to develop virtue is to train yourself to think right. Paul said, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Get your mind out of the world's gutter and get your thinking on the Word of God. Turn your thoughts to the Word of God. Begin every day with the Word of God. That Word will chisel like a hammer and a chisel. It'll chisel into your character virtue. Then he gives a second building block. To virtue add knowledge. The word for knowledge means knowledge acquired by learning, effort, and experience. You notice he's not talking to lazy Christians here. He says, he says, with all diligence, work out your salvation. Make your spiritual growth the number one goal in your life. Above career, above anything else. Because, listen, as we grow spiritually, everything in our orbit is affected positively. 
as we grow spiritually. So he says, by learning, by effort, by experience, intentional, we should never stop learning in our understanding of God, his son, Jesus Christ, and the infinite depths of truth found in Scripture. God places no premium on ignorance or spiritual laziness. Say, well, I got my ticket to ride. I'm going to heaven, so it's all done. No, that's just the beginning. Now we're to add these building blocks to our faith, okay? He tells us to do it. Then in verse 6, we're handed three more building blocks in one verse. To knowledge adds self-control. Self-control. Solomon stands alone in the Old Testament as the greatest example of somebody with incredible knowledge but lacking in self-control. Solomon was a he-man with a she-weakness. Did y'all catch that? The Bible says the whole world sought his wisdom, but he couldn't stay away from the wrong kind of women. He told us how to conduct ourselves towards the wrong kind of woman, and then he went and threw it all away with the wrong kind of woman. What's up with that? That just goes to show you that you can have all kinds of knowledge, but you've got to have self-control. And the good news is the Holy Ghost is the spirit of self-control, of love, power, and a sound mind. But sound mind is from the Greek meaning self-control. Solomon's many godless wives turned his heart away from the Lord. So Peter says, to your knowledge, add diligently self-control. The fourth building block is to self-control, add patience. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I wish it was a gift, a gift instead. Lord, just drop it on me. Can, have you ever just wished he could just drop it on you? But no, no, no. It's got to be chiseled into our character. And the only way you're going to learn it is by having to practice it. That's why people like you and me, we always end up in the wrong line at the supermarket. It happened to me again this week. I'm telling you. I said, God, you're really out to get me. And he said, you're right. Because I went to the supermarket. I went and I got some things and I got my cart there. And, I, and I've got, it's not a huge bunch of stuff, but it's enough where I had to go through the line. And so, so I had two options. And I watched this one that I was chose to get into was moving right along at a good clip. So I said, that's my line. So I went right in. And sure enough, the person who was right in front of the person right in front of me couldn't find their card. Then when they found their card, it didn't work. Then they had to go call for the manager. And I'm looking at the line that I forsook, and it's already through. And I'm going, what is this? How many of you believe God can orchestrate things like that? Because he said, you need patience. In your patience, you possess your souls. Now, Lord, in sharing this story, I'm not asking for it. But even on the highway, you say, which one is moving quicker? Is it the fast lane, the medium lane, or even the slow lane sometimes moves quicker? Which one is it? And with all your GPS and all of your thinking, you pick one. And before you know it, everybody on both sides is zipping right past you. Have you ever stopped to think God is sovereign over things like that? Like the guy on the roof, filler on the roof, the Jewish man, when he looked up and said, God, can you just love somebody else for once? So patience describes somebody who can wait in difficult circumstances with a good attitude. It's one thing to wait, tapping your foot with your arms folded, with steam coming out your ears. It's another thing to wait with a good attitude. Have you noticed that our culture is quickly losing all patience? Have you noticed this? It's crazy. Road rage, all this other crazy, nutty stuff happening out there because people don't have any more patience because they're not connected to the God of patience. Patient people don't go off easily on others. They can put up with irritating things without losing their religion. They have learned to trust God's timing and sovereignty over all their circumstances. Y'all are really quiet right about this point. 
How many of you just love patience? How many of you know you need a little bit more? So one way, and, and I'm preaching to myself here, but one way you deal with situations that are really trying your patience is ask, is God sovereign over this? He's sovereign over me. He's ordering my steps. So could it be that he wants me right here in this situation to learn to trust him and just relax? The world's not going to end. That's not in my notes. That's free. So, so let's add them up so far. To your faith, add virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, add patience. We're coming to the end. The fifth building block is to perseverance, add godliness. Godliness just means to be devout. And what does devout mean? It's the idea of seeking to do things that you know please God. That's devout. A devout person is not some holier-than-thou person. Devout means, I want to please God. Paul said in Ephesians 5.10, learn as you go along what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord? That's something we learn as we go along. You all learn not to lose my temper. That doesn't please the Lord. It pleases the Lord if I can be patient. It pleases the Lord if I can think on good things. It pleases the Lord uh, if I can... Uh, have holy habits in my life, habits that contribute to my spiritual growth, that that enrich my spiritual growth. There's many things that please the Lord. And Paul said, every Christian ought to be searching for and trying to learn what pleases him so that we can be devout, so that we can do those things. The sixth building block is to godliness, brotherly kindness. We should be kind to one another, says Peter. Being godly does not mean we're to be distant, untouchable, holier than thou. The Lord Jesus was totally approachable to godliness, add brotherly kindness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. Amen. So people approach Jesus all the time, even though he was not just godly, he was God. He was approachable and he was kind. The only people he wasn't kind with was the Pharisees. And boy, did he let them have it. But aside from the Pharisees, whose hypocrisy is what triggered Christ to say what he said to them and their damaging theology, Jesus was kind. In my devotional this week, I read of how or when the woman caught in adultery is thrown down in front of him. And the hypocrites who brought her to Jesus, here she, she was caught in the very act she was caught. And Jesus stooped down and began to write in the ground. Now, many people have wondered, what was he writing in the, in the dirt? What was he writing? I personally believe he was writing the commandments. Because as he wrote the commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt have no other gods before me. As he wrote the commandments, it set up his statement to them, you that is without sin, as I've just laid out, you that has not broken these commandments, you throw the first rock. Make sense? Yeah. And they all dropped the stones they were holding to kill her with and walked away. But listen to his kindness. Woman, has no man condemned you? And she said, and you could just feel her going, oh, I thought I was dead. No man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Kindness, mercy. The last building block is love. To brotherly kindness, add love. The word is agape, the God kind of love. Love can only be known by what it does. You can say, I love you all day long, but actions prove it. We Christians are to shun selfishness and do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. If you really love, 
Let me tell you something that is a truism. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Show me what you love, and I'll show you what you give to. So if you love the house of God and you love the work of God, you have no problem giving to it. Just where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your heart is, your feet are going to follow. So he says, the final building block, love. Now, as we close, I want you to look at the amazing promise attached to Peter's seven building blocks. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will literally use the phrase, these things, five times in the first 15 verses of chapter 1. What are the, 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 what are the these things? The seven building blocks. He says it five times. He refers to them five times. These seven building blocks, you should diligently be adding them to your initial beginning new Christian faith. These things, these things, these things, these things, these things. And these were the things operating in Jesus' life in perfection. Now, finally, Peter ends with a mention of the perpetual babe in Christ. Watch this. We're going to close with this. Verse 9, he ends with a mention of the perpetual babe in Christ who is in spiritual diapers still 20 years after they were saved. Their growth has been stunted. Now, let's talk real tonight. Can your growth as a Christian be stunted? You better know it. Can you squander away years and not grow as you should? Remember when you were young, don't smoke cigarettes, they'll stunt your growth. Remember that? He says, he who lacks these things, the seven building blocks, and adding them diligently to your faith has, is short-sighted. They've, they've lost their spiritual sight. They've lost what it's all about. Remember when we used to say in, in school, keep your eye on the bouncing ball. Keep your eye on the bouncing ball. Focus on, on there, there's not a sport in the world that you can win if you take your eye off the ball. I don't care what it is. Football, everybody's eye is on that ball, and who's carrying it? Baseball, any batter knows. You take your eye off that ball, you're never going to hit it. Tennis, soccer, hockey, name it. you got to keep your eye on one thing. you got to focus. Peter is telling us here, if you drop the ball, if you get your eye off of this goal, these seven building blocks, a blindness comes on you. And you have forgotten what Christianity is all about. Not showing up at church and punching the clock, although I want you here. But during the week, were you adding these seven building blocks, were you growing spiritually? Were you watering the garden? The person who stops growing in these graces has forgotten the price that Christ paid for our salvation and they, that they themselves have been forgiven. We have we've gone blind. And so 20 years later, you're still blowing your stack, losing your temper, living carnally, using profanity, you're still out there thinking like the world, acting like the world. We look at you, and we can't tell the difference between you and the world. What happened? I took my eye off the bouncing ball, adding to my faith every day, adding diligently. So Peter reminds us again at the very end of his letter that we're always to grow in grace, always, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen. Now, I know uh, this was, well, this is so good. Isn't this rich? And just wait, because he's about to go into all kinds of prophecy and heavy stuff. But what a wonderful first chapter, first nine verses. So how many of you want to take those building blocks and add them diligently, diligently, diligently? Amen. 
and work out our own salvation. Okay, um, don't have time for questions tonight. Does anybody have one? Okay, then that's a confirmation. Let's stand up. I love the Bible questions, and uh, I love doing it, but it's 810. I want to I get you home. And um, But I so appreciate you being here on a Wednesday night. Tell people when you come to church Sunday, man, Wednesday night was dynamite. Spread the word. Bring somebody with you. Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, can we? Heavenly Father, thank you for telling us straight, telling us straight up what we need to do to grow. Thank you for the amazing, exceedingly great and precious promises by which and through which we become partakers of the nature of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to build every day on the foundation of Christ Jesus in our hearts and help us to know you better next month than we do now. In Jesus' name. Let's sing one chorus, can we? Thank you, Lord. And oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. Amen, 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 amen. Amen. Sunday, don't forget, we're on part three of the four prophets of your future. It's going to be so good. We're going to worship. And don't forget Friday night, if you want to be here at 7 o'clock, can a Christian have a demon? Can they be possessed? Oh, well, I've already been digging around for it. We're going to talk some, we're going to get into some good stuff. All right, you're blessed. God bless you. Have a good night. We'll see you next time. Amen.